Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon on what Jesus said about following him. It will play in just a moment, but before it does, I want to tell you about something that is coming up at our church. On March 2nd, we will have our Ash Wednesday service, and I would love for you to be a part of it. If you're unfamiliar with Ash Wednesday, there is just a couple of things you need to know. First, it is the day that Lent begins. Lent is the 46 days before Easter where Christians have traditionally focused on preparing their hearts for the celebration of Jesus' resurrection on Easter. Second, our Ash Wednesday service offers people a chance to make decisions about what they will give up, what they will pray for, and what they will give in observance of Lent. All this will be done through scripture reading, song, prayer, and personal reflection. I think it's worth your time to be a part of the service. Again, it will be on March 2nd at 7 p.m. I'd love for you to join us in person. You can find all the information you need at creeksidebiblechurch.org slash ashwednesday. If you can't be with us in person, I'd love for you to participate online. Again, all the information you'll need is at creeksidebiblechurch.org slash ashwednesday. Again, thanks for listening. I hope this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. So do you ever wonder how people end up doing really horrendous things, especially, specifically, to my point this afternoon, people that, uh, that call themselves Christians or at one time called themselves Christians? And I think that will, I think that's a, it's an important question. I mean, if we don't want to end up doing terrible things, then we should at least think about sometimes how do people end up doing things? You know, I'm not talking like I told a lie, although don't, but like, I mean, like, you know, like, like, I'll give you the specific example that we're going to talk about today. Like, how did Judas end up selling Jesus for some silver? Like, how did he get to that point? And, uh, you know, we, we can fill in a lot of blanks, right? Like, I, I know my wife and I were just talking about, like, so many, so many couples that seem like they'll, you know, they'll never, they'll never get divorced. And then they end up just hating each other. And it's like, you know, like, what, what happened there? And, uh, and, and, uh, and then they do get divorced, by the way. Uh, but, uh, like, what, what happened there? Because I don't think any of us want to believe that, like, it's a light switch thing, right? Like, that you, can just, that you can just wake up and all of a sudden just, you just do something terrible. Um, and, and, and I think in the story of Judith's life, we, we see the, the, these steps that, that can lead to worse and worse things things. And I think it's really important to look at them. And, and here's, here's what's happening, just to catch you up to speed. We're doing this series of sermons. Um, I've been preaching through the book of John since October, since the beginning of October. But we're breaking that down into to mini-series that go with the different section breaks in the gospel of John. And we've, we've last week we moved to this new section where uh, Jesus turns his attention to his disciples and he's going to tell them all of these things about how how they can live for him, how they should live for him, what's required of living for him after he is gone, after he's died risen and then ascended into heaven. Uh, and and, all, and I told you I was really excited to, to preach that, and I am, but there's kind of this outlier section in the middle of, of this bigger section. Um, because all of this, for those of you who weren't here last week, like we've covered almost three years of Jesus' life in uh, 12 chapters of, of the book of John, and then all of a sudden we're going to cover just 
24 hours in the next like five chapters. And so it's all like one little small period of time where Jesus' attention, like I said, is really turned to his disciples. But in the midst of all this, and you might know this, you've been around church for, you know, any period of time at all, you might, you might already know this. Jesus talks about how somebody is going to betray him. And then he reveals that that person is Judas. And that's kind of the whole, the whole part of our section. But for me, I'm like, it's weird. That's weird to be in the middle of a kind of a section that's all about being a follower of Jesus and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And, and as I pondered that this week, because I was preaching on it, I thought, you know what? This is, this is really about the steps required to no longer follow Jesus. The steps required to move further away from following Jesus. The steps required to end up doing horrendous things despite having, you know, been a Christian or followed Jesus or in Judas' case, like spent tons of time with Jesus and, and I mean, seen all the miracles and everything. I mean, uh, these are really the, I think we see in Judas, like the, the steps that move us towards doing things that we never could have thought that we could do if you would have asked us, you know, a year or two or three ago. Um, and this sermon is kind of my hope. I was watching this, this TV show, um, just, um, I don't know if this is by God's grace or by chance or what, but, uh, but this, this character in the TV show was, was playing Judas in his family's, uh, or sorry, in his church's like play for Easter. And, and uh, he, he doesn't know how to do it. And he's having trouble getting into the mindset. He's a nice guy. And so it's hard to like think, you know, Judas-like. Uh, and, and somebody just says like, what, like, what what is Judas just think about what he's like when he's not betraying Jesus. What what is Judas like what what is like who is Judas? You know, like an actor would do and and I think that that's kind of what I want to talk about today a little bit. Like what was it about Judas that 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 allowed for him to get to a place where he where he sold Jesus for some silver? Like what, what got him to that place? Now, one of the things you need to know about Judas, one of the 12 disciples, like the guys who hung out with Jesus three years, ministered with him, ministered for him, saw the miracles, saw the, or heard the speeches, like all, all this stuff that we've seen in John. Judas was one of the guys who got to experience it firsthand on a daily basis. This is really interesting, but he's like the only disciple that's listed by the name that we know him by in all four of the Gospels. That sounds really nice for Judas, but it's almost always said like this in Luke 6, 6. Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Like that's how it's almost always worded at the beginning of these Gospels. Like they, they tell his story. They even introduce him as the one who would betray Jesus. And in the passage we look at today, Jesus predicts this. And, and remember, that's so staggering to me because he's just given his disciples this example of foot washing that I preached on last week. So Jesus begins saying, hey, this is how you live for me. And the first thing he does is he washes his disciples' feet. And we talked about how he shows them in this that part of being his disciple is humbly and sacrificially serving other people. And then right after that, it's like a big switch. This is what we read. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill this passage of scripture. He who has shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I 
am who I am. Now, we've already been told that Judas is going to be uh, a betrayer of Jesus. And, uh, and so, like, I, for me, maybe you're not as curious as me, but, like, why does he become a disciple in the first place, right? And I think most of the time when that question arises, people will point to the fact that somebody needed to betray Jesus so that he could be arrested and uh, tried and mocked and tortured and crucified for the sins of the world. And I think that's, there's something really good about that answer and important about that answer. But actually, in our passage, there's two reasons that Jesus points to in this passage. And I think they're important. One, it fulfilled scripture. Psalm 41.9, even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread has turned against me. And so Jesus shows us that even in this betrayal by Judas, the promises, the prophecies of the Old Testament were fulfilled. I think this is incredible proof that Jesus is, as John is trying to prove in his gospel, the Messiah, the Son of God who has come so that those who believe in him may have eternal life. But on top of this, Jesus predicts it. And as he predicts it here, he says, this will help you believe that I am who I say I am. This is the Messiah, the Son of God. And I actually think there might be a reference there to Jesus' deity, which has been just uh, all the way through the book of John, that Jesus is God in human form. Uh, and, And so Jesus says, I'm predicting this. I'm telling you about this in part so that when I die, you can know that I'm still the one I say I am. I love that. I think by extension of that, it helps us believe the story. But for these first century disciples, I mean, think about how hard of a moment that is. I mean, they, they, they believe that he's the Messiah. They're all in on that idea. They've made that clear. But then he's going to like be tortured and killed. And that doesn't fit their, their idea of what the Messiah is supposed to do. And so Jesus is taking this awful thing that's going to be done by Judas and he's using it to help his disciples continue to believe even as, as all of this terrible stuff happens to him. God even uses the betrayal of Jesus to help us believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, this is what John 13, 20 says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. This is really familiar sounding, and it reminds us of what Jesus has, has made really clear, that to accept him is to accept God uh, because he is God in human form. He has equality with, with God. He is equal to God. But, but next we get back to the Judas stuff. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very, I tr- very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to the disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Now, when I read this part, it's just, it's just strange to me. Like they're all sitting down at dinner and, and Jesus makes this prediction. And, and then Peter has to like whisper almost, Hey, ask him what he means. You know, like that, that's, it's just like this awkward thing. And so I want to, I want to put up the picture of traditionally how people see the seating chart of the last supper. Now, you know, like the painting, right? Of the last supper and they're all in a line and one guy's over there and one guy's over there. But, but this is the more traditional kind of seating of the Roman world. And, and it may 
make some sense. So Peter actually would be in, in the last place kind of spot here. And there's probably something important there, but we'll, we'll save it for another day. But then uh, John or the disciple whom Jesus loved is sitting there and they're, they're reclined. So they kind of sit. It looks horrible when I was looking this up. Like they kind of got to lay and eat and like the whole thing. It's like somebody build a chair. Um, and really, you know, the passion of the Christ. Remember that movie and Jesus builds the first chair? Like that made more sense to me after looking at it. Not a factual part of the story, but like I would have made a chair if I was Jesus. But but, but then like Judas is right there next to him. So you got John and Peter. And so when you, when you picture it like this, it makes more sense that, that Peter kind of has his head here. And he's like, hey, ask him, what's, ask him who he means. And then the dipping, like you can see how the, like they're gonna, he's going to dip the hand next to the bread given this seating chart. So that's what's going on at this last supper. But it's still kind of uncomfortable, right? I mean, there you are. It's like a game of like, you know, who done it? Like a murder mystery. Like Jesus, like one of you is going to betray me. And all of them are like looking around like, not me, right? Like who, who is it going to be? And he reveals that it is Judas. And this is, this is what we see next. As soon as Judas took the bread, this is the line. I mean, just this line is crazy. I've never noticed it. I've never thought about this phrase, but Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what are you about, what you're about to do, do it quickly. But no one at the meal understood what Jesus, why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. Satan entered into him. That's staggering. I mean, like we know, we've heard of. Maybe seen movies about demon possession. But, but here, this phrase says, it's not just demon possession, it's Satan possession. Like the prince of demons, you know, the, the head of all the dark forces enters into Judas. And what I think, it's like, could that happen to me at dinner tomorrow? I mean, was there, like, is there build up here? Because, because, like, when you're just reading through, it's really easy just to be like, wow, that sucks for him, you know? Like, was there nothing else? And, and, and I, I think we could leave this, leave this going like, could, could it be that easy that just Satan, boom, and then all of a sudden I totally betray and reject and, you know, turn Jesus in and hate Jesus and do horrendous, something so horrendous as selling Jesus? Like, I mean, you can, you can, there's so many things that we do. And like, I mean, like I talked about, I talked about like people that get divorced that I never could have seen it coming. But like, I think that nobody sets out to be a murderer, but then they, you know, at some point, there's murderers, right? And like, how, how do you, like what happens there? Or, or even just like li- things that maybe are smaller, like, like I can never steal from my company, but then people do, right? And, and they start to commit fraud and things like, how, how do we get there? And the Satan just, and then it's over. I do all of these things. But I think when you, when you try to take a more holistic picture of Judas and you don't just remember this moment, you start to see the things 
that led to this, that allowed for him to be in a position where Satan would come into him, where Satan would choose to use him as his vessel of destruction. And and, and just going back a chapter in John 12, 4 through 6, I alluded to this when we kind of passed by it, but, but, but notice it again. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Now, this, was, this takes place and when this person comes and they pour perfume and nard on Jesus' feet. And she, this woman uses her hair and she's wiping his uh, feet with her hair. And, and then Judas tries to put a stop to it. And we learn the reason why. Because he was a thief and he was taking a little money off the top. Now, there's a step, Right? And I think the first step, this lines up with my experiences. The first step oftentimes to people doing the things they never could have thought is doing the little things that they never thought anybody would see in the first place. I can just, I can just, now I'm, I'm making this up, but I can, this, I can just picture because I've known a lot of people because I am a person. Like I can just picture like that first time when Judas decides to take a little bit of the money. I mean, here comes the money. Here comes the money. And people are giving this money so that Jesus, you know, and the disciples could do their ministry. They have the things they need. They could give to the poor, all of this stuff. And, and Judas is like, who's going to notice if one dollar's missing, right? Like nobody will ever know. Like it's not going to hurt anybody. Not like that. I mean, it's that, you know, the poor person, they should get a job anyway. Like, I mean, you know, you know all the rationalization, right? Because, because you and I do it sometimes. Nobody will ever know. It's not going to cause a big problem. I know the books better than anybody. We'll still have enough money for the hotel room. Like it's just not that big a deal. I'll never get caught. Nobody knows who comes in. It's opportunity, right? Like he has this opportunity. And so he does this sin that I'm sure sure seemed so inconsequential at the time. And I think that probably the the sin that seemed like not a big deal, that didn't seem like it would have any effect on anybody else, it was probably the first step in several steps, we'll look at a couple more, that led to Satan entering him and him selling Jesus for some silver. And I want this to be a warning to each and every one of us. Now, it's not like I don't think it usually works like this. Like, oh, I told a lie today. Satan's entering me tomorrow. Like, that's not what this looks like. But there is a warning for us here. If we start to do the sins that seem inconsequential, if we start to do the things that we know are wrong, that we know God doesn't want us to do, it is the beginning of the process that may lead, that may lead to us doing things that we never thought we would ever, ever do. Now, I actually think that in that passage I just read, we see a second step. And the second step is that his sin begins to stand in the way. It, it becomes, uh, and it comes to a place where it's in conflict with his worship of Jesus or worship of Jesus. I'm guessing that, you know, well, you can tell there, like he's, he's been stealing for a while, right? And now here is this moment where Jesus is honored and Jesus is worshiped and Judas' sin that he's been committing now causes him to try to stop the honor and the worship of Jesus. He doesn't want to deal with it anymore. 
He, he looks at this moment where, where, man, I mean, Jesus is getting the glory. But because of the sin in his life that it seemed like nobody would ever notice, he's trying to stop Jesus from being glorified because it, because it negatively affects him and his bottom line. And I think that this can happen to us, right? We do the little sins. We do the little sins. No big deal. I'm still going to church. I'm still singing my songs to Jesus. But if we do that over time, there's going to come a point, and none of it's honoring to Jesus, but there's going to come a point where it starts to bother us when Jesus is being honored. I think we can see this in like how annoyed we can be by those who, who are doing the right thing when we're doing the wrong thing. I don't know if you ever felt that. Maybe I'm the only person who ever felt that. But, but like, like when we see people who are living the way that we should be living and we know that we're intentionally, willfully not living that way, we start to be bothered by them. And we can even be naysayers towards them, right? Like we can put the peer pressure on them like, oh, everybody's doing it. Dumb, stupid little example. But like, you know, you're taking a little extra break at work and you're, you know, you're like, like just, you know, I'm taking 35 minutes for lunch or whatever it might be. And I'm only clocking for 30, just telling that little teeny baby lie. And, and, and then somebody else is like, well, I, I don't feel good about that. And you're like, come on. Like, it, there's anger instantly. Like, what? Like, just do it. It's not a big deal. Nobody's going to notice. And so we become the, the voice, right, of, of not bringing Jesus the honor and the worship that he deserves. And so Satan, Judas first, he just does the little sins. And then second, his little sins lead to big opposition to others bringing the honor and the worship and the glory to Jesus that Jesus inherently Deserves. Now, Judas is, is specifically focused.